0: Good morning. Good morning it's good to see you all um i've been waiting for spring for how many weeks like i have said i'm like waiting and it's here for one morning so i <laughs> will enjoy it um will you please open your bibles to matthew chapter 13 matthew chapter 13 if you're going to use one of the blue bibles in the baskets it's page 838 If you have a different colored Bible, I cannot help you. But the blue Bibles is page 838. Each month, we've had a different prayer focus. And our prayer... Just a simple sentence that I ask you to preach every day. And... um, Does my mic sound okay? Okay, I have a little paranoia after dunking it last Sunday. Um, But every last month in march it was lord please send workers into your harvest right and we're continuing with that same prayer for the month of april so for two more weeks that'll be our focus and then in may we're going to switch to a new prayer focus that i'm very excited about for may the prayer will be lord help us walk in your rhythm and that's a prayer about um rest and work and sabbath and sabbath is a reoccurring theme in the book of matthew uh, sabbath if you're not familiar is a god it's a gift he gives us that we are to rest one day every week and i know many of you have been praying for healing and seeking healing whether that's emotional or relational healing or physical healing and sabbath is one of the ways that god brings healing to us Um, and you might be like, ah, she's, I think she's like stretching it a little bit there. Um, so let me, let me say this. If you break your arm and the doctor says, okay, you have to have it in your sling and you can't put any weight on it for, you know, eight weeks or however long, and you do not rest your arm, will your arm heal properly? No. No. We know that getting adequate rest is essential to proper healing, isn't it? The word Sabbath just means rest. It's the Hebrew word for rest. And God gives us these patterns of work and rest, and through the rest, he does bring healing to us. So, we're going to spend two weeks on that. The first week, I'll just be breaking down what Sabbath is in scripture, what the Bible teaches us about it. And then the second week, uh, I'm going to talk about how do we practically actually do this. Um, and I'll share some lessons that I've learned in practicing Sabbath. And, and even if, for some of you, you can start practicing Sabbath right away. For some, you're just not in a position where it's a reality right now. But how can you start baby-stepping towards it so maybe in three years you can? Right? I mean, you look at your life and you're like, there's no way I could take a week off to rest. Well, what if in three years you could? Wouldn't that be a good thing? So that's what we're going to focus on the first two weeks of May. And then the third week of May is May 21st. And we will be completing our series on Matthew and on these prayers that we've been praying. I'm very excited. I am like more geeked about that service than I was Easter, and that's kind of like, I don't know, hypocrisy for a pastor. But I'm really excited about May 21st, so I hope you're here, because it's going to be, I think, an instrumental Sunday in the life of our church. Anyways, that's where we're headed. For today, we are in Matthew chapter 13, learning about the kingdom of God and God's harvest. This is God's word. It's the word of life. Let's read it together. Matthew chapter 13, verse 1. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. All right, this is that same day. That's a context that you need to understand to know what follows it. So if you look in the chapter before, and this is why I'm a fan of paper Bibles. It's not that I'm anti-tech, but... If you're reading your Bible on your cell phone, you can only see one little verse at a time. You're going to miss so much of the context and not understand or properly interpret Scripture. Um, But, so in chapter 12, let's see what happens. In verse 15, it says that this large crowd followed Jesus and he healed everyone who was sick in the crowd. Alright? And then in verse 22... It says, Then they brought him a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute, and Jesus healed him so he could both talk and see. And I mentioned this one other time, but there were certain miracles that way generations before Jesus, prophets had prophesied that the coming Savior, the Messiah, would do. And there were miracles that only... He would do. There have been other prophets that did miracles in Israel, but no one had ever done these miracles. Um, I think we have the prophecy verse, Isaiah 35, 5 through 6. Isaiah talks about the Lord will come to save you. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened, and the ears of the deaf will be unstopped, and then the lame will leap like a deer, and the the mute tongue will shout for joy. So the Pharisees, they taught, look, when the Messiah, that promised Savior comes, that descendant of King David, the son of David, he's going to do these four things. These will be signs that we can identify him by. He's going to be the first one who can heal the lame, heal the mute, heal the deaf, heal the blind. So this, what says, then they brought him. This is a test. Do you see that? This is a test. This is a guy who's both blind and mute. That's two of the four. And Jesus healed him so he could both talk and see. Verse 23. All the people were astonished and said, Could this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, This is only Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives him out by demons. Well Jesus rebukes them. He's like a house divided against itself cannot stand. You might have thought Abe Lincoln was the first one to say it, but Jesus was. And he says, Look, Satan is not going to drive out his own demons. And, and and if I'm driving out demons by Satan, well who are you driving them out by? You know, and he rebukes them for what he says is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, calling the work of the Holy Spirit the work of Satan. And he gives them a very strong warning about that. And then in verse 38, it says, Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. And he's like, no. (sighs) Like, this is the same day. He's just healed Everyone who was sick in a large crowd. He just healed a mute and blind person. Is that right? Yeah. And they're like, we want to see a sign to prove you're the Messiah. And he's like, no. You just said that's the last miracle I did was a work of Satan. I'm not going to give you people any more signs. And that's where chapter 13 picks up that same day. Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got in a boat and sat in it while the people stood on the shore. And then he told them many things in parables. From this point on, Jesus only teaches the crowds in parables, which is a shift. If any of you remember the Sermon on the Mount... That was very clear speech, wasn't it? Like, you, you don't need someone to interpret the Sermon on the Mount for you. It's very clear. But from this point on, he just tells these stories that need to be interpreted. And in verse 10, his disciples ask him, Why are you doing that? Well, his first parable actually explains why he's doing it. Um, but it also explains a lot more. So let's read it together. Verse 3. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was gathering the seed, some birds fell along the path, or, or, I'm sorry, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell in rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly, but the soil was shallow. So when the sun came, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up, And choked the plants. Still, other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what is sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. And then this is where the disciples ask, "You know, why are you talking in parables all of a sudden?" And in the next part, Jesus he quotes the Old Testament. But basically, what he's saying is because they don't want to hear they don't want to understand they have shut their eyes they have closed their ears they do not want to understand so i'm going to talk to them in parables and give them exactly what they want and those who want to understand will understand and those who don't won't you guys one of the reoccurring themes in the bible is that god gives us what we want And when what we want is something good, we call it blessing that God is blessing us. But what when we what we want is something bad, it's called the wrath of God. We haven't talked a lot about the wrath of God. I don't know what kind of imagery it conjures up in your mind. Um, I think a lot of people think about like being struck by lightning, you know, <laughs> like God getting angry, and that's that's imagery isn't from the Bible. It's from Greek mythology. Who is that? Who does that? Zeus. Zeus, exactly, yeah, that's Zeus, who gets angry at humans and throws down lightning bolts. That's, that's not how the Bible portrays God. The Bible consistently portrays God as loving us and inviting us into what is good and wholesome, peace and joy, and, and warning us about things that will harm us. But if we persist, he'll say, okay, taste it. And the wrath of God over and over in scripture is portrayed as a cup or a bowl that he pours out and lets us drink exactly what we've been wanting. Someday I'll go through, I promise you, in the next year I'll go through and I'll show you the scriptures. But beginning in Exodus, all the way through Revelation, you can see that imagery over and over again. That God, he'll first give us a little taste, and then hopefully we'll be like, Ah, okay, we were wrong, God, we love you, you know. And he always accepts us and welcomes us. But if we persist, there'll come the time where he's like, okay, belly up, here we go. For this passage, what you, all we need to realize is Jesus is giving them exactly what they want. They don't want to understand. So he's going to speak to them in words they can't understand. And this, um, this is a powerful lesson here, guys, about how we approach scripture. Do you only listen to what God has to say to his word when it affirms you? When it says what you want it to say? Or are you also willing to listen when it convicts you? In other words, is the truth only what you want to hear? I'm concerned because I see our culture shifting more and more to truth simply being defined by what people want to hear. And if it's what already affirms their lifestyle and their beliefs and the, how they've justified things, and they're like, yep, that's all right. Yeah, preach. And they don't just say that to preachers, they say it to TV personalities and to politicians and to whoever's up saying something and they'll share it on social media because they want everybody else to hear that same message but when somebody says something that they don't want to hear that convicts their lifestyle their way of thinking it's like mm-mm, no mm-mm. we just shut it out guys are you your standard of what is true Or is God's word the standard of what is true in your life? If you want to understand God's wisdom, which is good, he will help you understand it. But if you choose to be stubborn, there will come a day when it will be all parables to you. The religious Pharisees They were proud and self-sufficient. They did not want to change. And so they weren't open to being challenged by God's word. The disciples were. So Jesus, he explains the parable to them. Verse 18. He says this. Listen to what the parable of the sower means. When everyone hears the message about the kingdom... And does not understand it The evil one comes and snatches away what is sown in their heart This is the seed sown along the path The seed falling on the rocky ground Refers to someone who hears the word at once and receives it with joy But since they have no root They last only a short time When trouble or persecution comes because of the word They fall away the seed falling now on the ground with thorns refers to someone who hears the word. But the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. Jesus is saying there's basically just four responses to the word of God. And everybody's going to fall into one of these four categories. And the first one is the road. This is the path. It's packed down. It's hardened. This is a hard heart. What happens to that seed? The good news. It's snatched away and never even penetrates. The second one is the rocky, the rocky path. And this is someone, they hear the good news about Jesus and and the life, the new life that he brings. And they receive it with great joy and they're like, yeah, but they don't grow any roots. And so what happens to them? They they wither, it says, "Mm," you know, like... "Mm." They just end up withering under the hot sun. Guys, this is why the prosperity gospel is so dangerous. It's so popular. Because you can build a lot of big churches and get a lot of money if you're a preacher who preaches a prosperity gospel. That says, if you accept Jesus and he will make your life better he's going to give you wealth especially if you give in faith to my ministry then you know he's going to suck. he's going to heal you he's going to do it and he's going to take care of all your problems and this will be the year of blessing for you the gospel guys is not that Jesus comes and gives you your best life now The gospel is that this world is broken, and we're broken. And Jesus comes to us, and through his spirit, he helps us get through this life to a new life, where he is going to make a new world, and we'll live eternally with no more pain and no more sorrow. The gospel is your best life is the next one, not this one. And if you received Christ thinking that he was going to make your life so that there would be no hardship here. You're not going to last. And I'm sorry if anyone's ever lied to you and told you that was the truth. The third one. They receive the word with joy. They actually have roots. But then the weeds, it says, chokes out the plant. What are the weeds? It says um, the worries of this world and the deceitfulness of wealth. How is wealth deceitful? False sense of security. You can never get enough. Promise that it will bring joy and happiness, but then there's always... Yeah, the deceitfulness of wealth. Remember, again, the gospel message isn't that this is your best life here. It's that it's coming. And then the last one is the good soil. And the, those that, the seed that falls on good soil, uh, that's not what I wanted to write, it produces a crop. And that's the biggest difference between here and here. Both these people are believers. And then they both go to heaven. the weeds don 't kill the plant; they just choke it, so it doesn 't produce fruit it doesn 't produce a crop. What is fruit in the bible like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, 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 goodness. yeah it 's the fruit of the spirit, right love, joy, peace, patience, kindness goodness faithfulness self control that's the kind of fruit. The other kind of fruit that the Bible talks about is multiplication. That you get to see other people come to know Jesus. And and reap this in their lives. And that's, that's a joy in and of itself, right? So, these people, they get into heaven. But they don't get this fruit. Which is kind of tragic. Because that's half the gospel right there. The gospel is, yeah, your best life is the next life. But the gospel is also that despite how broken this world is, the Holy Spirit will give you love and joy and peace and patience in the midst of the hardship. And it's these people right here that I think Jesus is most concerned about. Because these ones have already made up their mind. They're hardened. These ones have kind of believed a false gospel. But he hones in on these people in this very next parable. Because his next parable is the parable of the wheat and the wheat. Verse 24. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. So the owner's servants, they came to him and said, "Uh, Sir, didn't you sow good seed (laughs) like, in your field? (laughs) Where did these weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. And the servants asked him, well, do you want us to go and pull up the weeds? No, he answered. Because while you're pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together into the harvest. And at that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. And then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. Now this this is an interesting little parable. First of all, Jesus he doesn't use a generic word for weed. He um, the Greek word he uses is for a specific weed that we call um, darnel or darnel ryegrass. It's also called false wheat. You know why? Because it looks like wheat. It grows up and it looks just like wheat. Until the wheat turns golden, you really can't tell the difference. And darnel is also poisonous. It makes people nauseous. And so, you can see the dilemma here, right? If you go and pull up the darnel, how can you tell which is which? But if you leave the darnel, its seeds are going to mature and spread. And then what does your field look like next year? Do you have more wheat or more weeds? Weeds. I don't know what the definition of a weed is, but my definition of a weed is, is it grows faster than anything else. <laughs> so if you leave it there, the thought is like, next year it's going to be even worse. And so there's this kind of panic that sets in that says, We gotta get this stuff out of here. Even if we uproot the root, even if we like root it all up and like get rid of the entire crop. It's better to lose one crop one year than to ruin it and let it spread to other fields and you know just become this huge problem. And and Jesus says, No, no, just leave it. He's not worried. That the weeds are going to kill the kingdom of God. Let's look at his next two parables. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. I'm in verse 31. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. And a man took it and planted it in his field. Though it's the smallest of all the seeds. Yet when it grows... It's the largest of the garden plants and becomes a tree so that birds come and perch in its branches. So it's tiny, 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 tiny little seed. But of everything you would plant in your garden, it becomes the biggest. Nothing's going to stop it from growing. It becomes about a 10-foot tree. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast, that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked through the dough. That woman must have had some crazy muscles. (laughs) That's the first... I mean, 60 pounds of flour, I can't even imagine that. Like, seriously. Okay, but the point is, again, can she see the yeast in that flour? No, it's invisible. And the kingdom of God is like that. You can't see it working. But you have to keep doing the work. You have to keep doing what is right and trusting that God is there and he is doing his part. And that yeast, it's an organism that multiplies and it spreads and then it lifts the whole dough. right? That's what the kingdom of God is like. So Jesus is saying, don't worry about those weeds. They're not going to hurt God's agenda. This kingdom is going to spread anyways. And so then they ask him. They leave the crowd. Um, and his disciples came to him and said, Okay, explain the parable of the weeds to us. So in verse 37, he does. And I'm going to have you tell me what it says, okay? So he kind of breaks down each component of the parable of the weeds. Let's see. He says the sower is who? growing in God's word is a participatory sport. All right. The sower is who? The son of man. Yep, which is another name or title for Jesus. Um let's see. The field. I think he defines the field next. What's that? The world. So the owner of the field would be who? God. God. Yeah, okay. Um, the wheat. The good seed. Who are they? The sons of the kingdom. People who came into the kingdom. So we'll, we'll put, how about God's people? Does that work? People that have come into God's kingdom. Um, the weeds. Who are they? Um, does it say people? Yeah. People yeah. of the evil one. Who is the enemy? Enemy is the devil. And there's one last one that he defines for us. The harvesters are who? Okay. So Jesus sows the good news in the field of the world, which belongs to God. And the wheat, the good seed that grows up in wheat, those are God's people who come into his kingdom. The weeds were planted by the devil, right? And then his servants say, well, do you want us to uproot the weeds? And he says, no. No. Because the harvesters, the angels, are going to sort them out at the end of time. Who do you think the servants are? The disciples? God's people? Us? Right? Yeah. Us being anyone who is a disciple. So one of the main points of this parable is that we aren't to judge who is weeds and who is wheat? Why? Because we're not going to be able to tell the difference. God promises us that there are going to be people in the world, there will be people in the church who look like Christians, outwardly act like Christians, and will not be. And we're not going to be able to tell the difference. And it's not our job to try to. And it's certainly not our job to, like, kick them out of the church. Because we think we have to protect the church. We don't have to protect the church. Why? Because God does. The kingdom of God, it may be that invisible seed. It may be that yeast you can't see. But is it going to spread and grow? Yes, it's going to do exactly what God wants it to do anyways. So we don't have to protect it. What is our job? To love people, to help spread the seed, to make sure we fall in this category, right? The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are the angels. Verse 40. Let them hear. Jesus isn't done telling parables yet. Verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. It's a picture of some, of like a day worker. You know, like harvesting or digging, planting, whatever he's doing. And he comes across a treasure. It's not his, so he hides it. And then he goes and sells everything he has so he can buy the whole field and own the treasure that's in the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and did what? Sold everything he had and bought it. Jesus is coming for full circle to this versus this. He's saying the deceitfulness of wealth. Guys, that's not true riches. True riches is this an eternal life, right? And you can't earn your eternal life. That's a free gift from God. But Jesus in the New Testament over and over says that you can earn treasure and store up treasure for yourself in heaven. And Jesus says, go all in here. Go for this. Go for the crop that yields 30, 60 to 100 fold. Don't settle for treasure that moth and rust will destroy. Don't be deceived by that. Don't let that choke out your ability to grow this. So the question is, you know, where are you on this chart? And where do you want to be? Jesus tells all these parables to encourage us to be here. You know, if we're here, there's a serious warning. Everything good comes from God. There is no goodness apart from Him. And if we mm -mm, don't want to hear it, That means we can't have this. The joy, the peace. The rocky soil. Jesus promised us that we would have trouble in this world. He said, in this world, you will have trouble. But he also says, I will not leave you alone. And I will send the Holy Spirit who will teach you and guide you. You've got to have roots that learn how to rely on the Holy Spirit, how to hear the Holy Spirit, how to follow the Holy Spirit so that you can survive this. And you got to decide how distracted you're going to be. Jesus, he, he, in the Sermon on the Mount, he says it plainly. He says, you know, do not worry about what you'll eat or drink or what you'll wear. For pagans run after all these things. But your heavenly father knows you need them. God knows you need those things. And he's a generous God. And he says, but seek first the kingdom of God. And all of these things, and all of these things will be given to you. That's why he promises. So where do you want to be? Jesus is saying, guys, don't settle for just surviving this world. Thrive. Thrive in it. So you can thrive in the next world, too. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, your word says he who has ears, let them hear. God, I pray that you will open our ears to hear you and believe. To believe to the depths that it takes root in our souls. It takes root in our lives. Help us seek first your kingdom. It's so hard because we seek after what we see. And your kingdom is not visible. But God, I pray you give us spiritual eyes to see how you're at work. Lord, I pray you increase our faith and our hope. That we'll be focused on you and on the next life. And will we focused on eternal reward and sharing that with as many people as we can, God? I pray you give us wisdom to know how to do that. It looks different for different people. And I pray you give us courage to change the things we need to change, God. Thank you for your word. Um, I thank you that your word just doesn't leave us alone to, to fall in the deceitfulness of wealth or the worries of this world or get distracted by people who should be Christians but just don't seem to act like it. God, I thank you that nothing... nothing changes your plans. Nothing hinders your word. And so, God, we pray that nothing in us would hinder your word from growing as well and producing a crop in us, 30, 60, 100-fold. We pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.